Thursday the 24th of February and you're listening to episode 56 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, I'm joined as usual by Chloe Bloxham and Dan Club. I'm your host David Comerford and we will be discussing last night's victory over Leeds United, a resounding 6-0 win. Potentially the most uh, enjoyable and an easy game of the, the season, certainly in the Premier League, you might say. Our main focus today, though, is going to be on the League Cup final on Sunday. So later in the podcast, myself and Dan will be speaking to two Chelsea fans about what we can expect from them at Wembley at the weekend. But like I say, before that, we're going to break down Leeds, myself, Chloe and Dan. And I want to start with kind of the end of the match really and a moment that I think really encapsulates the mood at the football club right now so Jürgen Klopp obviously does this fist pump celebration in front of the cops so typically you know after he's congratulated all his players he sort of will walk up to the cop and sort of thrust his fist like three times yesterday he pulled out seven fist pumps um, and I think I mean Usually he only does it when it's been like a a hard-fought victory. It absolutely wasn't that yesterday. It was, like I said in, in the introduction, really one of the easiest games Liverpool will have all season. But he still did it. And I think that points to a man who really is starting to sense something special during the season because the mood at the club right now, I think the level of optimism, this sort of idea that anything is possible because, you know, at this stage of the season, only three points behind Man City now. Um, obviously, hopefully moving into the quarterfinals of the of the FA Cup if we beat Norwich next week. Really good position in the Champions League to reach the last eight as well. And being in a final already, you know, the sky feels like it's the limit this season and the winning streak that we've been on as well, in addition to that, which obviously continued last night and how impressive we've looked. I think I can't really recall a moment all season when when the optimism's been been this high, I suppose. Dan, I'll come I'll come to you. How high are your sort of expectations right now? Oh yeah, I mean you're dead right. They're sort of through the roof, aren't they? And that that showed in Klopp's reaction. Um and I think he admitted himself he got a little bit carried away, but with everything that's going on, like it's easy to get carried away, isn't it? I mean, you know, it'll be another day at the office today, I'm sure, for Klopp and the players in terms of focusing on the on the next challenge, which obviously is, is the cup final. But in the moment, it it's very, very difficult not to get caught up, especially when you've just beat another Premier League side 6-0, regardless of what we think about Leeds' performance. But we we are still, you know, I've not known us fighting on all four fronts, you know, in on February during my lifetime. That simply never happened. Um, and we are still doing that. And just over sort of the past, what's it been, three or four weeks now, we've gone from being almost resigned to, listen, we might go and do something if we do bonus, you know, sort of season. We've transformed that into this is a side, a squad, capable of achieving something genuinely you know historic and almost unprecedented this year because everything's just pointing in the right direction we've had a little blip in terms of Jota and Firmino's injuries but they don't seem to be too bad which is good news but 
like I say, when we were building up to AFCON and all the talk was can Liverpool cope without Mane, Salah and Cater, we did. And not only did we cope, we then got Harvey Elliott back to fitness. We signed Louis Diaz and then we got Mane, Salah and Cater back. It's just everything's just transformed. If you could almost... It's like when you're stuck in traffic. I've just thought of Amanda Minaldi. It's like when you're stuck in traffic and you're not going anywhere and all of a sudden everything clears up and you've got a free road ahead of you. That's what sort of the past few weeks have been like as a Liverpool fan. And I think Klopp's reaction last night with the crowd and obviously in front of the cop was almost a symbol of that, as if to say, come on then. Like All of a sudden, greatness is not on the horizon, but it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, I look at the atmosphere and, you know, obviously I wasn't there last night. I don't think any of us had the opportunity to go, but certainly the way it seemed and the most visible demonstration of it would have been Klopp's reaction. And I sort of think, you know, that belief is spreading at the moment and I think it will go up a level between now and the end of the season because people sense, like I say, what's possible. And you make a few really good points there. You know, the AFCON one and sort of, I can't really remember the exact kind of time within the month of, of January, I suppose. But um, there's like a moment where City are sort of double-figure points clear. And I think it's one of them where we're sort of within nine if we win our game in hand. But the run that they're on um, and the way we, like, we drop points a couple of times in the space of about two or three games, well, maybe three or four, and you just think, oh, well, it's sort of slipped away from us in this run and this will be the decisive run that's up back on. But all of a sudden now it's like, well, if City do win the league by a comfortable margin, then it's not like we didn't have it. We didn't have our chance again. Like the opportunity has arisen, and I think with City, like the game against Southampton, which I think was before, like a uh, there was like a break, wasn't there, in at the sort of end of January, where there was a weekend yeah. without without a Prem game, and I thought that, that obviously they dropped points there, but I thought they. The performance was actually really good, and it was one of them where it almost be like the lower of averages that are forced them to drop points because you know Southampton were clinging on for dear life. But to lose against Tottenham in that manner, you know, mm-hmm. a Tottenham side who are kind of in a little bit of a mess at the moment. You know, obviously you raise your game against Man City, but you know they're not in a good situation. And the manner in which they did lose it was almost like the blueprint of defeats that we've seen in the past, where the other team doesn't have many attacks, but when they do, they're pretty deadly. Um, I thought it was a lot more encouraging and an indication that City may actually be be vulnerable. But I want to talk about uh, about Leeds yesterday and the sort of, because like I said, at the start, it's certainly to me felt like the easiest game of the season. Um, and really, I think, Chloe, I'll get your thoughts on this. I thought they were like ideal opponents in a way because this sort of style of football that they have for Liverpool you know to have the opportunity to draw within City I think there might not be a team easier to beat in the whole Premier League at the moment than Leeds United No definitely not and I think also with the fact that they tried to match us to be honest I don't know why you're ever doing that why you're going 1v1 v Salah uh, who's the best in the world right now is, is completely beyond me um, but that worked in our favour because they're so attacking um, and you saw it within the first five minutes I think they actually played quite well um, it was all over the place first five and you thought to yourself oh, oh god like you know they've had you know one or two decent chances already um, but in the end 
once we got, you know, our feet settled, the atmosphere came in, um, it ended up only being a, a one-horse race in, in the in the game. And um, I think we also ran them into the ground. They'd had enough by the sixth. Um, they, they weren't even defending corners properly. You could see how dejected they were. Uh, that penalty, Stuart Dallas, doesn't even complain about it. Um, he knows outright that it's hit his arm. Uh, whether people think that's, you know, harsh or not, I, I don't care. It got us the penalty. We scored from it. Um, but from the Reds, it was just ruthless. It was brilliant to watch. Um, and, you know, this front three, uh, the, the other day when they played, it could it, it looked like they weren't exactly um, working together with, with Mane up top. Uh, and then, obviously, we turned the game around against Norwich. But for the first 50 minutes, our, our front three lacked a bit, to be honest. Uh, in that game against Leeds, my word, they weren't. The, the runs in behind were brilliant. Um, the balls that Salah was doing was ridiculous. Uh, Lewis Diaz is electric. The, the pace he does to get past people. Um, he's always choosing the right option, it feels, as well, which is boss. So just a really enjoyable game. Extremely, extremely sad I missed it. I mean, I've missed one game in five years and it ends 6-0. And Matip gets a goal. Is someone hating on me or something? Because I am fuming. Um, no, nah, but yeah, I mean, what a way to bounce into the League Cup final, eh? Was that really the first first game in five years? Yeah, yeah, I've not missed a single one in five years. Heavy that, you know. Jesus. Well, <laughs> you will have seen a lot of uh, classics in that time, I suppose. So it's not all it's not all bad news. But uh, I definitely want to talk about um, Salah's passing in a bit more depth at some points. But just to touch on the sort of points about the front three, obviously it's kind of a unorthodox front three in a way for us with. Um, Mane playing centre forward. The role he's kind of sporadically played in the past, but one that's yeah. obviously not his specialist position. He, um, you know, he obviously looked really good yesterday. Got a couple of goals, and I'm glad that this front three, which we might well have to play on Sunday, and I think Klopp will be more inclined now to use it on Sunday. I'm glad that um, they've had sort of 180 minutes now, really, or or around that of playing alongside each other, and hopefully getting an idea of the sort of movement and things like that, because that's going to be obviously importance on Sunday you want that understanding to be there but just on Leeds um, and I'll bring you in in, in a second Dan it's weird because you know I, I don't want to be the the person like it feels almost like I'm on talk sports if I'm you know sitting here saying <laughs> oh Leeds are stupidly naive what's Bielsa doing it's, it's suicide and all that um, because I think like the way they play is so distinct that if, and there's obviously no way he's going to do this, you know, if Bielsa was to change style drastically to try and make them more secure, I'm not, not sure there's a guarantee that would work because this is a group of players who've been almost, you know, purchased in the first place and then trained relentlessly in one style of play that it's almost hard to like change it in the blink of an eye, really. And I also think it's worth noting that how many games this season have they had um, Rafinha, Phillips and Bamford playing? Like, very few. Those are their three best players. But Dan, what did you think in terms of how easy it was yesterday? Um, And did it just become, you know, I think when you look at the moments that Luis Diaz has pulled out, the no-look pass, the... You know, there's a couple of outrageous turns. There was a pass to Fabinho where he sort of flicks the ball up and then lobs it over his shoulder. Yeah. 
I look at that and I think Liverpool just had fun yesterday playing against that. Yeah, they did. Um, and just to touch on the Leeds point, you know, you're right in a sense that it, I don't want to be the person that says it's naive either. But at the same time, obviously, when you say there, Liverpool had fun because we did, because if a side was ever geared up to favour the way we want to play, it is Leeds because they have that style that goes man for man and they chase people out of position. And then we're just pulling these players out of position, left, right and centre. I mean, Luis Diaz, it looked like he was playing on the street. Remember FIFA Street, that game? It looked like he was just doing that at times. He was just, for someone who's only been in the club for a few weeks, I'll say it over and over again, absolutely a joy to watch. Like, I just want to say on him, like, we need to thank Tottenham for making us pull the trigger on that sign in January. Because if we'd have waited until... Yeah, really thanking Tottenham at the moment, yeah. Well, granted, yeah, of course, yeah, our new favourite club. Um, yeah. Because them making us sign him now has given us such options. And for me, Diaz is going to play a huge part in whatever happens between now and the season. I've said it a few times now on this lad. He's just unbelievable. I mean, he was literally plug and play for this Liverpool side, wasn't he? He's turned up and within two weeks, he's doing stuff like he was last night, just making a mockery of Leeds defenders. Um, so yeah, just just brilliant. But on Leeds a bit more deeply, um, I agree with you, and I don't think I don't think Bielsa will. I keep expecting him to change, and every time we play, you think, oh, no, surely he can't do it again, but he does. But I think it's because he's his players are so ingrained in that way of playing, and he's been unfortunate. You mentioned the players there not really playing together at any point. I think Patrick Bamford, who was brilliant last year for them. I mean, you've started something like five or six Premier League games this season. So we've seen it last year when we lost key players, probably more, you know, bigger players to our side than they've lost in a way. But Leeds haven't got anything like the squad that we've got. And we were all berating our own squad depth at times. So it's been really difficult for them. I still think they'll stay up. I certainly want them to stay up from a neutral perspective, but also from the point of view that we are tailor-made to play against them and beat them. So I really hope they stay in the Premier League. Yeah, and, you know, to follow up on that, like, I had a look yesterday. The expected goals was, I think, 5.3 for us, which is ridiculous. And then I was like, oh, what's the second highest game? And I was like, oh, it'll probably be the game against United at Old Trafford. But no, it was the away game against Leeds as well, Yeah, um, which was second. So, like, this season, it has just been, like, I mean, I remember that game at Ellen Road, Mane, I think had about 10 shots before he scored. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one player. Um, so it's ridiculous, really. I mean, last season, we obviously found it much more difficult for three at Anfield and then a draw at Ellen Road in that game, which was sort of played in the, under this weird haze because of the uh, the Super League situation. But yeah, I think that was maybe, that's maybe an indication that with sort of players fit, they can sort of be this disruptive team that they try to be. But, you know, this season, you know, it's almost the fact that it's not really built to, to survive you know, when Liverpool have injuries, they can still play the same style of football. I don't think Leeds can. I think that's what we've seen. Maybe that it's it can't work as as effectively when, you know, you lose multiple players. Naturally, of course. Um it's not really built with the same sort of resilience as kind of a Jürgen Klopp style of football, maybe. But I think on Diaz, um, to pick up on him, 
you know, those moments yesterday, just put, you know, it's like he's a showman, isn't he? And it's like Roberto for me. You know, this is a point I made in an article I wrote yesterday. He wants to sort of entertain as well. And he combines this. It's not like his attitude isn't right because, his, you know, we've seen his work rate is impeccable. His tactical intelligence, I mean, you saw yesterday a couple of the moves where he's sort of bouncing it off Robertson and vice versa. You know, he slotted right in. We've spoken a lot about that already, um, how he fits into the side. But yeah, I just think, you know, last night there was no goals, no assists, but there was more encouragement there. And I think you can see the bond he's forged with the crowd as well and how, you know, like I say, he wants to sort of thrill. Um, and he's an, an electric player to watch. Is there something you wanted to add, Dan? Yeah, it was just a very quick one on the Leeds point you made in terms of them not being able to play the way they'd like with all these key players missing. Um, and, and we couldn't for a long period. Obviously, when we went through that really sort of barren run and that ridiculous six home defeats on the spin. So it took us quite a while. And we've got better players than Leeds United, certainly in attacking sense. But even a squad with our quality couldn't cope with key injuries. So when Leeds are missing, Patrick Bamford, Calvin Phillips, Luke Ayling for long periods, it's no real surprise that this has happened to them. Yeah, 100%. And um, like you, I think they probably will have enough to stay up. It's it's all kind of judged through the frame of reference of last season where they sort of, not overachieved, but finishing that high up in the league. And I think it was sort of one of the highest points that we've seen for the promoted side. Like, I think, you know, if they finish, if they end up finishing 15th this season, for example, like that's an all right season, isn't it, for a team that's, you know, in its second season back in the Premier League and has had loads of injuries. So I think that's maybe if you step back from it and step back from the woeful defensive record, you know, that's one way you could look at it where it doesn't look as bad for Marcelo Bielsa. But to focus back on back on Liverpool, because, you know, a bit conscious that we are sort of maybe picking apart leads a bit too much and as opposed to appreciating our side. I want to talk about Mo Salah's passing. And there was a catalogue yesterday of, of passes. There was the assist to Matip for the for the first goal. The ball to Mane leads to the penalty for, I think, the second goal. And then the reverse pass into Henderson, which was kind of a pre-assist for the fifth goal, for fourth or fifth, I want to say. I'm literally losing track of the goals because um, there were that many yesterday. But, Chloe, when Mo Salah puts in a performance like that, and obviously he did score twice, two penalties, does it kind of totally, you know, dismiss the idea that he's just a goal scorer? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, look at the runs he goes on. He pulls about three defenders out towards him uh, and then he sneaks a pass inside. The weight of pass as well uh, yesterday was unbelievable. Um, and actually, I've seen it quite a lot this season is uh, switching a play has been really good. I think he'd done a couple back post to Robbo, which was um, really good when he was in space and we just couldn't pick out the man. Um, or we did in in the sense and we just we missed it. Um, we we literally could have had another six last night and and we didn't. Um, Salah should have had the hat trick. I think Junior Firpo clears one off the line in the first half, right at the end. Um, so yeah, he's. He's world class, and if anyone can't see that, then you, you're not watching football. Um, I think I saw something on Sky Sports yesterday where someone didn't put Jurgen Klopp in an elite manager, but put him next to Arteta. And these are the people that 
either are doing it and saying these things for views and for controversy um, and attention, or they just really don't watch football. Um, because if you're not putting Jurgen Klopp up there as an elite manager uh, alongside Pep, the two best managers in the world, and if you're not putting salaries on 19 goals already this season, um, has got the best goal scoring ratio of any uh, any Liverpool player, I think, at the moment, then I don't know what you're looking at because I am witnessing greatness at his feet all the time. He is possibly the greatest player I've ever seen um, in, in the flesh. I mean... I literally, I was there for Steven Gerrard. I, I adored that man, loved him. Uh, was probably one of the best I've ever seen. But Mo Salah, my God, um, I think he's more predominantly left-footed. But the things he does, you don't even see the space and he's somehow done it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's an all-round footballer. He's got it absolutely all. And um, I think maybe if, if some more people finish off the shots, the, 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 you know, from... The passes that he does, then he might get more assists. But just, just look at what he's done. Um, and I think you, you've you've also got to look at the sense of Mo Salah at times has dragged us through thin, thick and thin. Like, um, he scored some. I think last year without his goals, we would have finished 14th because he'd scored that many wins. And this year, it just he's on a different level. No one can reach him. People are sat here. We've got Cristiano Ronaldo, which people hail as the greatest footballer of all time. He's on nine goals. No salary is on 19. He's all right. Um, so, yeah, just unbelievable. One of the greatest players I've ever seen. And my God, if someone doesn't offer him a contract, I'll be going to Liverpool headquarters and I'll be fuming myself. You know, I actually had a, a dream the other night that I got a, uh, a message on, on, on a group chat saying that Salah had signed a new deal. It was probably the it was the nicest dream I've had in a long, long time. Put it that way. It was one of them where you wake up and you gotta sort of check yourself and think that that actually happened. I think I'm I'm that invested in it now that it's literally, you know, infiltrating my dreams. But uh, you know, the thing with Salad is like it's the most one sided golden boot race that I can sort of remember really. Like you could you may as well just call it now, like of all the goal scorers, he's the one who like and I mean, a lot of them, like even Ronaldo, have, you know, underperformed. And it, whereas he is just, you know, producing what I think is like his his second all time great season, really. You know, obviously, with the ones at the hat trick yesterday against the worst defense in the league, sitting for sort of what was it, fifty five minutes on on a hat trick. But um, yeah, like a hundred percent on what you're saying there, Chloe. We had um, best in the world conversations. Um, really since sort of the autumn, and I think we're still having them now. Like he's sustained that level for me, and the best thing I can say is I don't think there's anyone in world football I was dropping for still at this point. I think also what you look at there for me, um, sorry to jump in, he's been doing this consistently for four or five years, and not just has he done it consistently. Um, look at the people around him the people keep trying to match him and he raises his level, he's criminally underrated and people point at Liverpool fans saying that we underrate him it's not us, it's the rest of the footballing world, we know what we've got we get to see him week in week out these people don't um, and I, I just think to myself the, the thing I love about Mo Salah the most is I sit there on the cop and I watch the warm-ups 
and he fumes at himself when he misses a chance. And this is in warm-ups. This is them just shooting and getting warm and getting ready for the game. There's no competition really in it. You know, other people just walk off if they've missed and go again. He fumes, like, is actually raging with himself. And um, I love it. I love that. Even in a in a warm-up drill, he is fuming. The fact that he's missed the chance. As if, like, you know, Adrian in goal saving his thing, is thinking to himself, I've just saved the most Salah shot now. He, he literally fumes on himself um, and, like, he jumps up and down, he hits himself with his hands and he walks away fuming. Um, and I love it. I love it because I know when you see that most Salah in a, in a training drill, he's going to be deadly on the pitch. You bang on. Like, Salah's mentality is, for me, pretty much perfect. And, you know, like you say there, People will look at that and I think an example to not only the younger players, like you normally say in the scenario, like every player at the club really can look at that and sort of think, you know, the levels he's going to 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 improve. And an example of that might be his penalties, really. He's got 20 out of 23 in his Liverpool career. I think a penalty is about a 75% likelihood of a goal, I think statistically. And that's like closer to like 87%. So that to me, says that he's someone who puts a lot of work into his pens, for example, which a lot of players might just think, oh, it's a penalty. Um, I'll just, you know, go for a certain technique each time kind of thing. But obviously we saw it earlier in the season as well. I can't remember which keeper it was, but Salah, you think, asked the goalkeeper um, which side he thought he was going to go to. Uh, it might have been Ben Foster that he asked um, when he had the penalty. Um, so that just points to that sort of relentlessness and you compare it, you know, you mentioned Ronaldo earlier, Chloe, you compare it to someone like that and obviously, you know, he's sort of renowned for his mentality, but it almost becomes a sort of all-consuming selfishness with him. Um, I think you, you may have seen that with, with Man United this season. Um, whereas Salah, like I'm looking at it yesterday and obviously, like I say, he's frustrated that he's not got a hat-trick, but I think that he... he was finding joy in these passes that he was playing and playing this sort of role where he's making a difference outside the 18-yard box and, you know, pulling out some of these outrageous balls. I think he, first and foremost, you know, is driven to win and he knows that he can't always be the one. Um, whilst he would like to be the one who is uh, providing the match in the moment, he knows that it's not all about him, it's about the team that comes first. So to combine that relentlessness with that sort of, you know, but the bottom line, he is selfless. He understands that he's part of something bigger. I think is kind of a perfect mentality. Um, anything you want to say on Salah, Dan? Not a lot. That's not already been said. To be fair, I thought he was on another level entirely last night, which is saying something for somebody who keeps defying, you know, what we deemed possible. Quite frankly, I mean, obviously, you sort of mentioned the one horse golden boot rate there, golden boot race there. I think it's important to mention. That Liverpool currently occupy the top three spaces in that with uh, Jota and Sadio Mane and also the top three assist makers in the Premier League, which I, I doubt has ever happened before. Maybe after a couple of weeks, but certainly not by the end of February. It's just staggering. Yeah, it's got to be unprecedented that, but I look at it and I think we better win the league. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Yeah. If, if we end up there still at the end of the season, it better be um, that we've won the title. I think you know Kane last season obviously won the uh, he won both of the 
he won the golden boot um and the, the playmaker award i think it's called for the assists you know salah could easily do that this season it could be actually you know obviously trent and robertson have this competition between them but um it looks like salah might be sort of putting into that a little bit so that'll be kind of a, a bit of a subplus um we'll see on that i suppose it'd be interesting to see really where salah ends up in terms of you know I think missing sort of two and a half games um, or maybe two and a bit more because he came on for the last sort of half an hour against Leicester yeah. um, for AFCON. Will sort of hurt him in terms of uh, pursuing the, the absolute record numbers. But, you know, in all competitions, certainly he's going to be, I think, pushing fairly close to what we saw really in that first season. And um, to think that that could even be close to repeated is... Um, Incredible. And like Chloe alluded to earlier, like this is really coming off the back of last season where he scored 31 goals for the team that for a large part of the season was basically broken. And that was if, you know, arguably just as impressive really as as you know what we're seeing this year. But that's kind of maybe a, a discussion for another day. Um we've only got sort of a few more minutes we want to do on on Leeds yesterday. So I suppose just maybe wrap up a couple of other things that are worth mentioning. Curses Jones, Dan. Comes into the team, everyone on Twitter says it's a big night for him. Do you think he took his opportunity? Do you know what I do? Um, I don't think it was a perfect display by any stretch of imagination, but I do think he did some things really well. Um, he instigates one of the goals by going win the ball back um, and linking up in the interplay and the build-up really nicely. Um, and generally speaking, he was really busy. And, and what he did do with the ball tended to be of a good quality. Um, I think it was a really important night for him. Um, I mean, to go from missing the last three matchday squads to starting a Premier League match is quite a jump. But it does show Jurgen Klopp hasn't lost faith in Curtis Jones. It is just a matter of this insane squad depth we've currently found. Because I think Gomez and Elliot are both out of the matchday squad last night. Um, I mean, given Harvey Elliott's impact since he's been back from injury, you know, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. I think most people, including myself, have actually predicted Elliot would start last night to almost come full circle with the Leeds aspect. But yeah, I think Curtis Jones did take his opportunity, if I'm honest. I don't think it sort of puts him in line for an immediate start anytime soon, but it definitely reminded us all that there is a very, very high-quality young footballer there. I thought the the start that he had to the game, I don't know if you agree with this, he was a bit ropey. Um, with his first sort of couple of touches, I think we were and to be honest with you, Dave, as, as a side. Yeah, I don't think we started particularly well, you know. And they made the point in commentary as well to sort of, you know, defend him a bit. That he he has been out the last three match day squads, was it? Like, yeah, he, you know, it's understandable if he looks a bit rusty when, you know, certainly at the start of a game. But I thought, you know, something that happens sometimes with Curtis Jones is, like, when he gets the ball, um. And he holds on to it a bit too long and he loses it. I think the crowd kind of gets on his back. And I think that is partly because he is like a local lad and there is a different kind of pressure there. Um, almost more expectation from the crowd, I think. Um, but he, yesterday, even after that sort of tricky start that he had, I thought grew into the game as opposed to kind of shrinking. He, he could easily have sort of lost his confidence. Um, you know, like I say, he was emboldened really, I think, by the, the tricky start they had and w- wanted to prove people wrong. And I thought, you know, the work rate was brilliant in terms of um, making important tackles um, in addition to some of the, the tidy passes that he played 
Um, and I think he, I don't know if you mentioned this, Dan, so sorry if I'm just repeating what you said, but I think he takes a quick free kick um, leading to the uh, the cross Robertson makes, which obviously gets the penalty for the, the first goal. Chloe, what do you think is going to happen with the midfield uh, in the next sort of few weeks? Because I'm not sure there's any. If, if we keep, and hopefully we do, uh, you know, a, a almost fully fit squad, What's Klopp going to do with the midfield? Because we've even seen Fabinho rotated. We obviously got to manage Thiago's minute Henderson on the bench yesterday. I think it's going to be just sort of constant, like, chop and changing in there. Yeah, I think that. And I also think because for the last uh, many weeks, well, months even, when Henderson and Thiago have played, they never really last 90 minutes. Um, Henderson, more than Thiago, um, usually it's, it's one of the first subs because... Obviously, the lads are into the 30s now. It's the engine of the entire team. Um, it's probably one of the, the fittest uh, places on a football pitch, especially when Jürgen Klopp's your manager and asking you to do everything that he asks. So I think it'll constantly be chopping and changing. I think players will get their opportunities. Um, and I also think any player, so Harvey Elliott, you can feel you know sad for himself at the fact that he's, he's missed a, a match day. Any one of them could. Um, but the most important part here is is winning things, um, and I mean you look to the Carabao Cup, which is you know the, the next game for us. Um, I'd be shocked if it's not for being you, Thiago and Henderson, um, because I I feel like that's that's what you do. I definitely want to see Thiago and um, Fabinho on there. Henderson's your captain. Um, he's come on in that Inter Milan game, showing how important he is. He gets an assist last night. Um, so that would be my my solid three going forward. But um, you're never going to rotate Mo Salah for Harvey Elliott because Mo Salah would not be happy with, with being on the bench at any time. So um, I think I think a lot of chopping and changing, but I think as long as we keep the momentum up and um, we've got those players coming off the bench, it's absolutely sound because uh, I'd be absolutely sound to see Harvey Elliott and uh, instead of Hendo and Hendo getting a bit of a rest and Hendo then coming on and uh, making sure we're solid for the last 15, 20. So um, it's just a really exciting time to be a Red, isn't it? 100%, yeah. And I think the the point you make about Elliot maybe being frustrated, obviously Gomez drops out the squad as well. You look at it and think there's maybe going to be an effort there to keep players happy. Jones coming back in from the cold. It's like, because there's so many options there, you can sort of say to them, look, you'll play one out of every three, one out of every four. And then hopefully there won't be anyone sort of getting frustrated you know you do have to manage the squad and maybe that's something we haven't really appreciated as as a, as a challenge because we've had so many injuries that's gonna pretty much wrap us up in terms of the leads element of the podcast but seeing as we'll be talking a lot about Chelsea and the sort of Pep versus not Pep Tuchel versus uh, Klopp dynamic in the second half of the podcast I did want to make sure that we talked about the Liverpool lineup for for Sunday and Chloe you've obviously touched on it there with the midfield so I'm going to sort of throw out a team and you two just kind of offer your thoughts on it. Maybe you first, Dan, um, whether you'd be happy with this. So we know Keller is going to be in goal. Back for Trent, Matip, Van Dijk and uh, Robertson. Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago midfield. And then the same front three we saw last night. So, Dan, I suppose if that was the selection, you'd be looking at A, Massive starts over Canate. There's been some talk about maybe needing a change there. B Henderson playing in midfield despite being out of form. And C 
no uh, Jota or Firmino. Yeah, they, they would be sort of the talking points. Um, on Henderson's form, I think even as much as a week ago, um, I'd have probably raised an eyebrow at that, but I think he's just started to turn a corner. I think the Inter Milan performance was a really important one for him, so I've got no issues there. And I still believe that that midfield, midfield three that you both mentioned is the most balanced and strongest one, which is obviously what you want for a cup final. Um, and obviously Chelsea will touch on their element, but they're missing a couple of key midfielders, bad looks of it, after that Lille game. So that midfield you mentioned should and could overpower them, which is obviously a really important aspect of the game. Um, and obviously the Canate one is probably the, the, the biggest talking point, to be honest. Um, and I, I'd like to see him play. Um, I, I've been really impressed with him. I mean, not that I've not been impressed with Matip. Obviously, I think he, I think he's been outstanding all season long. But I don't see the issue with Canate stepping in for it either. Um, it's a difficult one. It really is a 50-50. But we often, when we spoke about Canate potentially playing in big games, it's been to deal with X, Y, Z. Now, we don't know if they're going to play Lukaku because of recent incidents, seven touchgate and all that. But if they were to, I think Canate would be the better bet, to be honest. Um, and just touching on the front line, I think the front three we've seen um, with Mane central has worked actually really well. I've been really impressed with Mane moving centrally. Um, and I just don't see Jota or Firmino being ready to start. Hopefully on the bench, but I can't see them starting. Yeah, it's one of them where we might have to, if we did want to start them, we might have to take a risk. And you're sort of thinking based on how that front three have done the past couple of games, albeit against weak opposition, is it worth taking that chance when there is... You know, there are things to compete for and it's not like you are going into it, um, you know, too handicapped really by by that front line. Chloe, what do you think of, of that sort of side? Um, I thought in answer to what Dan was saying just then that Matip actually had a, a really good game against uh, against Lukaku earlier in the season. I, I might be misremembering that. Obviously, we don't know if he's going to play. But yeah, what are your sort of lineup thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I literally remember him, him bullying uh, Lukaku down the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, I, I, I've seen the video many, many times. Um, I think he did well. I think to take Matip out of a final would be extremely harsh on him. Um, I think the, the lad's been brilliant pretty much all season. Yeah, he's had a few hip-ups here and there, but so has Canate. And Canate, you know, has played well when he's when he's got in. Um I think uh, Matic just offers so much more in the sense of um, what he does carrying up football up the pitch. I think Canate can do it as well, but we see Matic do it week in, week out. The occasion, hopefully, when we get to Matic, uh, you know. So for me, I'd, I'd leave Matic in. Um, I can understand why people would want Canate in, but um, I just I don't think I would take the moment away from Matic when I feel like he's had pretty much a, a really really good season. Um I I think if you, you debated, you know, some of the best centre halves this this season, uh Matip would have to be up there. He, he just would. Um because I think he's been that good. So um that that'd be the the only talking point where I'd I'd say Matip. Henderson's our captain. I feel like you need his, his vocals on the pitch more than anything. You need them to drag us through through certain moments because we will be under pressure, but against Chelsea, um, they will get chances. Every team gets chances. And 
they're the team that can take one. So um, we need him and his leadership on that pitch. And I think with the front three, um, obviously Jota, Firmino, you'd love to have one of them up there. But uh, let's not, we, we've still got three other trophies to go for as well, yeah. So let's not put one back in too soon. Uh, let them get injured and, and then be out even longer. Um, if they can make it on the bench, brilliant. But just stick with that from three. We trust in these players. Everyone else trusts in these players. Klopp does. Um, each other. They trust in each other. And uh, I cannot wait for Sunday. Me neither. And I think the point about Henderson, you know, Klopp's not Pep, is he? Like, he's not going to... Doing something like that is almost too bold a call. You don't think he's going to play it safe with the team selection and, and arguably rightfully so, um, to be honest. And hopefully we'll see that sort of same caution with the front three, like I say, if they don't get the opportunity to train properly. But yeah, that is going to do us for the first part of the podcast. So we'll now move on to our discussion about Chelsea. So we're joined by freelance sports journalist George Priestman and football London writer Jake Stokes. Chloe has gone to enjoy a holiday, so myself and Dana, sort of, it's to all on the uh, Liverpool and Chelsea frontier. So we're we're not usually normally be outnumbering the uh, the rival fan, but not this time. So we'll talk about really what we can expect from Chelsea, um, how they've sort of done so far this season compared to Liverpool, who might play, who might not play, and maybe get some uh, score predictions towards the end. So let's start with the Premier League, actually, rather than the cup competitions. And Jake, we'll begin with you. So we've spoken, you know, obviously a lot about the title race as it's evolved over the season on the podcast. And one of the things we said probably in about November time was that Chelsea were looking like the favourites. I remember a 3-0 win against Leicester. Um, what which was really impressive, and that you look like a, you know the team to beat at that point. But where do you think it's gone wrong in the sort of two or three months since then? It's difficult, really, because I think at the start of the season, I was definitely in that boat. I was of the opinion that Lukaku was like the final piece of the puzzle. He he was the number nine that Chelsea had been looking for. Um, but since then, it's it's not really worked out, and I think it's sort of shown that Chelsea still are a, a tournament team. They're a team that can grind out results over a 10, 11, 12 game um, period um, of a knockout phase. Um, but over a 38 game season, it's not really the case and the consistency isn't really there. Um, but it, it is difficult really. And then obviously it could be easy to like blame on, on recruitment or whatever. But I think the general setup of how we've used Lukaku compared to how he was used at Inter Milan is is quite different. Obviously, he was in a front two at Inter Milan, but at Chelsea, he's been isolated in a, in a front three. Um, so I think I, I wouldn't entirely blame it on that. But when you do spend hundred million pounds on a player, it is you you probably should sort you should sort of play to his strengths rather than try and force him into the team. Then on the other hand, of course that team won the Champions League. So why should they change what they know how to do for Lukaku? So it has been difficult, but I think Chelsea for the time are still a, a tournament team. Um, and I think that's got to do with 
just the style that Chelsea have found um, and enjoyed um, in the Champions League, really. Yeah, and we'll come on to Lukaku in a bit more depth because obviously there's now really a debate to be had over whether he should play and whether he's going to play. But, George, would you agree with, with what Jake said there? And do you think that we've sort of seen that ultimately Chelsea aren't yet on the same level as City and Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, like you said, that that 3-0 win away at Leicester um, and for me, the 4-0 against Juventus was the two two really strong performances before we had that that drop off and um it's it's it is sad to see because like you said a lot of people as favorites and it, it was hard not to get carried away at the time because obviously the wing backs were, were absolutely flying they were so key to our team um and once they got injured it's been a it's been tough for us um i mean if you take you know if you take i guess trent and robber out of liverpool's side there'll, there'll be some detrimental effects there but on their level, City and Liverpool, they they look like they can go on major runs of, you know, 10, 12 games in a row winning matches. And I don't feel that confident of us, um, which is why we're, we're behind those two. Um, we don't kill games off as we should do. And that's come to, to bite us a few times. Uh, you know, the Danny Welbeck header last minute at home, home to Brighton, just games like that that we drop points and, and that's why it's, it's it's so hard to keep up with the likes of City and then Liverpool because they're so clinical and so brutal. You, you kind of have to be perfect these days to to keep up with them. Yeah, I think the point about the wing-backs is a really good one, actually. Certainly something that I've sort of thought from the outside and we might talk about, um, you know, Reese James a, a bit later because I kind of want to know what the latest is in terms of his, like, his fitness, really. But... You know, you're right about sort of if you talk Trent and Robertson out, like, you know, on the left side, we'd have Simicast to come in and he's someone who is very kind of stylistically similar and has shown that he can compensate. But it's a gap in our squad. It's kind of similar to Chelsea in a way where, because like you play as Pelicuesa there, uh, don't you, quite a bit. Um, But he is probably someone who's more suited to sort of a back four or or a centre back rather than that that wing back role. So, and then we'd have to kind of shoehorn in there. Especially now that we've loaned out Williams, we'd have to shoehorn in a Milner, um, who you know can't offer the same as Trent. Well, I mean, not many players can, but you know we saw Gomez there against Norwich as well, predominantly a centre half. So you know that is certainly a big point of mitigation. But Dan, what do you think is sort of the reason why Chelsea have, have fallen off a bit? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, both of the lads make make good points really in terms of why it's happened, and I think obviously the wing backs. I think a lot of Chelsea fans would point towards those two dropping out of the side because they were sensational for the first couple of months of the season. And obviously, we as Liverpool fans felt the effect of injuries last year. Um, so it's interesting that Chelsea fans last season probably looked at our plight and thought, you know, for want of a better face, sort of got on with it. But they've obviously experienced a similar sort of drop-off now. But um, I just think it's interesting how the lads kind of referenced the standard set by Liverpool and Manchester City. And the standards have been so high. Obviously, the year missed out. The year Liverpool missed out on the league by a point. Even that season for us was sort of never seen before. Sort of numbers and points. And a third club in Chelsea looked like they were going to join us this season. But obviously, it hasn't panned out that way. And I think that just goes to show how consistent this Liverpool side and obviously Manchester City have been. It's so hard to keep pace with us. Um, so there's an interesting dynamic there in terms of Chelsea might just be that cup side that um, Jake references, whereas Liverpool, 
you know, potentially a both, and I definitely got it set out in the league as well. Well, yeah, let's just um, pull up the league table. So, if you look at it now, Chelsea are on 50 points from, from 25 matches, so sort of like two points per game, really. I mean, the numbers that they'd be getting is sort of probably what you'd expect, kind of a third-place team, you know, if they carried on with, with that kind of rate of points. But, you know, the standards are so high now, like you say, Dan, in terms of, you mean we don't know how many points it's going to take to win the league this season, but it feels like the threshold has been raised and we've almost yeah. seen records broken year after year. Um, but I said at the start of the season that I thought Tuchel was the man who could break the sort of Pep and Klopp stranglehold. And people look at that and say, oh, how can you say it's Pep and Klopp? Like Pep's won, you know, is it like three out of the four leagues or something? Um, but, you know, when you actually look at it, it's these two that are pushing each other on. And there's obviously been, you know, this is like the third title race, I want to say, between the two sides. Obviously, last season didn't really materialise in the end. But, yeah, certainly are in a league of their own. But let's think about Liverpool and Chelsea as a matchup and start with the two managers. Klopp, I think, has faced Tuchel three times um, since he came to Chelsea. I want to say he was manager in the Champions League group stage as well with PSG. Um, I think that was one apiece in terms of who won those games. But um, obviously Liverpool haven't won any of those three matches. They drew, drew, drawn twice this season and lost at Anfield last year. So, I mean, in terms of the, the managerial battle that's going on, which obviously will be renewed on Sunday, Jake, do you how, how impressed have you been by Tuchel sort of game plans in those games and do you think he's someone who can devise a, a system that can kind of not nullify but certainly be effective against Klopp's Liverpool No yeah Tuchel's system's been quite refreshing really because I think if you look over the years obviously since 2012 when Chelsea last won the Champions League did won a few league titles and, and had had good runs at the title um, obviously opposite to what Chelsea have seen in the last sort of few years really Um so it is quite refreshing to see that Chelsea see Chelsea have a side that can compete on the knockout state on the knockout stages, um, but then on the contrary, um, that that sort of had a hit on the league. But ahead of Liverpool, I was sort of thinking about it, and as much of me that wants to be an optimist and and, and tip Chelsea to to beat beat you Reds at Wembley, I'm. I'm I'm hesitant, and I think Liverpool are picking up some nice form, but I'm sort of hoping that Chelsea's sort of now of playing at Wembley so often will will help them. Um, I know it might not be like the the biggest biggest slice of a pie for for Chelsea to enjoy, but I think having that experience at, at Wembley could could help Chelsea a lot. Yeah, and it's something I thought about as well in terms of Chelsea have obviously played. There was the uh, FA Cup final under Lampard, which obviously they lost, but then there was obviously the Champions League final um, and the two sort of competitions you're getting off the back of that in the Super Cup and the Club Club World Cup. And this isn't a Liverpool team who don't have experience in big games. You know, by and large, it's the same side that won the Premier League and Champions League. But, you know, having that maybe more recent experience of sort of cup finals and, you know, grinding out a one-off game, I think could be a factor in this. But, George, staying on the sort of Liverpool-Chelsea dynamic, if we think about the two games this season, who do you think has been 
the better side over the two matches. Obviously, they've both ended in a draw. Two very different games as well because um, obviously there was a red card in the first one and then it was a bit of a, a thriller at Stamford Bridge. But have those games given you maybe more reason to be to be confident? Yeah, it's a good question because, like I say, you, Liverpool and City, who we're trying to catch, and you look at the, both of the games, we've we've done so well at, at certain points to to come back into the towards the second game, the two. I mean, we, we looked down and out, but we're showing real resolve to come back and and, and you know get the goals and you know, two really good goals as well. Um, I think the first game, the first half, I was really impressed with us. You know, to go to Anfield, you know, it with full with against a full strength side. Um, you never really lose at Anfield, and the our midfield was was really good on the day. We, we were passing out the press, and I was really impressed with us. We had a couple of really good opportunities on the counter as well, but that was early on in the season when they, we were still understanding how to play Lukaku, and we did we could have had a few more chances in that first half to to maybe add to the, the first goal we had, and then obviously the red card comes, and then it's a, it's a completely different game then, um, and then we show a different type of resolve to to hold on, and I think that. That resolve over the two games um, is something that was really impressive from us, and he showed us that we're not here to sort of lay down, you know, like we did, perhaps in the some of the games we had, you know, under Lampard against um, against Liverpool. So I've been really impressed with us in Liverpool games. Um, I feel like we match up well against them. Um, our midfield seems to win the midfield battle most of the time. Um, I think I think I always looked at the midfield free for Liverpool, and I thought there's opportunity for our players to to take the ball there and then to take risks and be comfortable on the ball and be able to pass through them. It's just you're so strong at the other, you know, the top and the bottom of the pitch that it's, we might win the midfield battle, but you know, it's 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 keeping you out of one end and it's trying to score the other, which which is really tough. So I've to say who's at the better side, I mean, it, two draws, I mean, you kind of have to say it's pretty evenly split, but I have, again, that, that first half in the Anfield, we were brilliant, and the two all, I mean, you could probably, over the course of the game, I think we potentially might have shaded it, but I mean, like I say, it's 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 really tight, and these sort of games are so tight, and can be so exciting as well, because there's so much quality on the pitch, so it's it's a real interesting um, matchup, obviously. Yeah, that was a, a mad game the two up completely because yeah. <laughs> I think we had um Dan was our midfield Fabinho Milner Henderson for that one yeah I think it was yeah they workman like yeah and that was the issue really we couldn't and you know George said you know they won the battle like we couldn't exert any no. sort of control in there and I think that basically set the dynamic of the game and it was strange because it felt like the goals sort of came not really against the run of play, but like as far as I remember, Chelsea were the side who sort of started stronger and then we maybe gained more of a foothold and then kind of just stunned the crowd a bit by getting a couple of goals. But it never really felt like a secure lead um, because of the nature of the game. And certainly at the first match, I was disappointed with Liverpool um, because, you know, playing 45 minutes against 10 men, I mean, we saw against Arsenal recently that maybe that's an area that we struggle with, but we really didn't create any insignificance um, and we were very ponderous in our play. And I almost thought on the day that Chelsea looked as likely to, you know, nick it with a counter-attack. Um, and it was a really impressive performance um, from you, I thought. But Dan, what do you, what are your sort of outstanding impressions from those two matches this season and 
And again, what what would you say about like Tuchel matching up with Klopp? Do you kind of worry about that? Um, yeah, I, I do worry about it because Tuchel's a very high quality operator. Um, and he'll have obviously watched Liverpool of late and he'll work out a way of playing. And he's he's quite pragmatic as well from what I've seen. He's not afraid of um, nullifying teams because, you know, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, they don't really have that in them. And obviously we spoke about Marcelo Bielsa earlier at Leeds on a different level, obviously, but he hasn't got that. Um, almost killjoy instinct in him. But I think Tuchel might have, and he might need it on Sunday because there's no doubt about it, and I'm sure the lads would agree. Liverpool are coming into this game firing on all cylinders. Like, we just scored six last night. Our form is absolutely red hot at the moment, and we look like we could punish teams at will. Whereas Chelsea are probably stuttering a little bit, similarly to how we were at Christmas in that 2-2. And I was quite surprised to be 2-0 up at Stamford Bridge, if truth be told. Um, and obviously, especially the way we've been playing around that game. And obviously, you know, the two goals before half-time probably put a fair reflection on the game. Um, but I, with you, Dave, actually just on the match at Anfield early in the season, I felt like we hadn't really clicked into the game at that point. And I thought that second 45 in particular was evidence of that. Because although I do think we struggle playing against 10 men, which is bizarre, but it's something we've done for quite a long time now. Um, in fact, playing with teams who sit behind the ball, which Chelsea are obviously forced to do, I was disappointed in the lack of creativity on that day. But, as I say, coming back to this game, you know, we really are in a purple patch at the moment. And if form does have a bearing on this fixture, when you look at our form and who's fit and available to us at the moment, I think, you know... <laughs> you'd have to favour us, even if you're the most ardent Chelsea supporter. Well, we definitely edge it in terms of form. I know Chelsea um, obviously won the Club World Cup, albeit with performances that didn't sound too great, and then got um, the advantage in the Champions League. But yeah, I think Liverpool are have shown them that they are marginally better than Chelsea, but I do think that sort of one-half game factor um, means that, you know, it does probably favour them that kind of dynamic and you know if Tuchel can devise that game plan to shut down some of Liverpool's threats which is obviously going to be extremely difficult but he's shown himself to be a very good tactician if he can do that um, and then you know Chelsea sort of match winners um, within the side step up like someone who's tormented us and maybe we'll talk about him if we have time Pulisic um, you know if he if he delivers on the day then that could be you know decisive but Hopefully not for our sake, but staying on players who, I mean, you almost don't want to call him that much of a match winner based on how he struggled this season. But Romelu Lukaku, obviously, as Jake alluded to earlier, the big £100 million summer signing. I'll come back to you, Jake. I suppose there's two questions here. Do you think he will play and do you think he should play? Um I, 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 don't, I don't think Lukaku should play and I, don't, and I don't think he will play. I think as much as people can argue, obviously you you got to play. This, this is what we signed him for, essentially. Um, I don't think there's much of an argument in any department that justifies why Lukaku should play over Havertz. Um, I think Havertz's performance in the Champions League the other day sort of proved what Chelsea can do in that sort of fluid front three um, with him there. And I think obviously the seven touches against Crystal Palace was. Um, was blown up a little bit out of proportion, maybe, but it is what it is. It it is what it says on the tin, and seven touches just 
isn't good enough. And I think Havertz had seven in like the first 15. So it just goes to show. But like I said, I, th- I don't think there's much of an argument in any department um, that justifies why Lukaku should start over Havertz. I think form-wise, Havertz, mobility, Havertz, obviously the creative play dropping into the full nine, maybe to let the forward running wingers um, Havertz. So it is difficult for Lukaku, maybe off the bench, he could he could sort of do something for us. But I think for me, it's, it's got to be Havertz. Yeah, he could definitely change the dynamic of the game and he will obviously be an option even if he, if he doesn't start. But George, where do you think it's gone wrong for him? Obviously, you know, it could be a very long answer this in a way, but that sort of game against Crystal Palace and obviously that standout start has really renewed the the debate and it's been a really tricky few months, especially with, you know, what happened in, in that interview and, and being dropped, which obviously meant you couldn't feature in that Liverpool game. So how has the one hundred million pound striker had such a you know, it's not been a dreadful season, but he's really not made anything close to the impact that was anticipated. Yeah, obviously it's 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 not gone how we wanted it to. It's not gone how many expected it to. Um I mean there's the Villa game at the start of the season at home where he scored he scored two and they were both really good goals and they looked like that's the type of they're the type of goals that we weren't scoring last year and that's what our strikers weren't doing. And he just looked he looked perfect and everyone was jumping on the bandwagon and you know, at that time you could you know, you're probably allowed to because it, it was so the two of the goals were just it's, it's what we expected from Lukaku when he came back and and then after there was an injury which kept him out for six to eight or nine weeks and and then obviously when he came back then the Villa game was when when he had the comeback you know the comeback in the second half when he was one of his one of his best forty five minutes of the season if not the best and and then the interview came out and that just derailed everything again and obviously a lot it just hasn't clicked in terms of the team understanding how to play to his strengths at the start we were just playing him as a target man we were just fizzing balls into him and just asking him to lay them off and, and play him as a sort of big man and. He does. He played that. Like, we got forced to play like that at United, and it didn't work for him. And we saw it into. He great when there's space um, to run into. He's got a chance to do that against against defenders because he's virtually unstoppable when he gets to do that. And it's been tough having you know, being such a possession-based team, and he's not having that space. It's kind of a bit like when Timo Werner was really struggling because in Germany he had all that space to exploit, and then here he's playing against low blocks all the time. He's really struggling. I think that's not helped, but obviously you do have to adapt your game, and you can do that. But again, look at the the Palace game, how many touches? It's it's frankly that was that was embarrassing for the for the club, you know. And then Sky Sports are putting out that video, you know, the set, watch the seven touches, and it just it doesn't help everything, and it's 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 all negative, and we keep having these little <laughs> sort of moments of ups and downs with Lukaku this season. He has maybe a, a one good half, or, or he gets the goal, or he gets the winner somewhere and then it'll go missing again for a couple of games and it's and people are sort of getting really frustrated because they just want it to work and they want it to work now and this is the crunch time of the season now this is the this is the last big push you know the, the knockout the champions league the, the final on sunday the the race was you know, to, to stay in the top four um these are huge games this is what he was bought for and it's there's still time but he's running out of time in a sense as well so it, it's, it's been really frustrating but like I said, uh, it's there's so much of Lukaku and it, it it sends Chelsea fans head spinning around. It really does. But I think the last thing I've got to say on that is just we have to play to his we have to 
play to him his strengths a bit more. I mean, they did an analysis on match today, and they're just saying the amount of times Lukaku's making a run, the cross is on, and a lot of teams, like, say, Liverpool, for example, very direct, very clinical. They just put the ball in the danger areas, and we, a lot of people like Havertz, so Havertz is positions on, and then the Cruyff turns back, and then it slows it down, and Lukaku's frustrated, and that happened a lot in the Powers game. So that's one thing that I think the team can do to improve, which would, would help Lukaku, but... Like you say, I mean, Havertz, I think Havertz probably has to start. And I just wonder, you know, Carragher was asked um, during some punditry of the Champions League this week where Lukaku was going to be next season. You know, he's he reckons he'll be back at Inter Milan and stuff. So, you know, it could, it's going to be interesting the next few months to see if Lukaku can have maybe a sustained run of, of sort of health and starts. And then if he can maybe score big goals, then maybe it'll change, but if not, and the current pattern kind of continues, then I suppose there will be that uncertainty around his future. But to finish on Lukaku, Dan, what I'd ask you is, I I, I kind of, you know, I rate Lukaku a lot, you know, watching mm-hmm. him at the Euros, for example, though he was brilliant, but I'd kind of maybe want him to play. I mean, especially based off what I've heard from the lads in terms of the, the fluidity of the front three that they'd have otherwise. It sounds like it'd be maybe more difficult to defend. And obviously, Lukaku is a, a huge presence up front and you know we can torment even the best defenders but I thought we dealt fairly well with them at Anfield mm-hmm. so do you would you be more comfortable you know there's obviously a threat of him on the bench as well but would you be more comfortable seeing him actually start than, than being on the bench uh, yeah I think I would be yeah it's a very difficult question because we've all seen the best of Romelu Lukaku in various guises Um Someone like that, a striker like that, always terrifies me because he has all the attributes to turn it on and hurt most teams on his day. Obviously, at the moment, like the lad alluded to, his days are few and far between, um, in particular against Palace, where it really wasn't his day. So I think as things stand, I would rather see him start because I watched Chelsea the other night against Lille and they were they were really good, actually. They were really fluid really fast-moving, and Kai Havertz at the centre, a lot of that, similar to the role Firmino does for us in terms of dragging defenders out of position. I thought Kai Havertz did that really well, and it allowed players to play around him. I'm not sure Lukaku would be willing or sort of has the know-how to do that because it's just not his game. He likes to pin defenders and make their life difficult and go the other way, in essence, whereas Havertz was quite willing to do the dirty work, if you like. Um and I suppose from a Liverpool perspective, in terms of dealing with Lukaku, you know, not many teams have the array of centre-backs that we have that have sort of that combination of pace and power in terms of Van Dijk, Matip and even Ibrahim Akanate. I would mention Joe Gomez, but he's, you know, horrifically out of sorts at the moment for various reasons. Um, so, yeah, I think on the balance, I would just rather see Lukaku start the game um, from a Liverpool point of view, but... Having said all of that, Havertz has hurt us before, and obviously he scored that really good header at Anfield as well. So it is still a flip of a coin. Yeah, definitely. I suppose there's kind of advantages you could look at to either side. And I think if it's gone wrong for Chelsea, like I say, they can change their sort of whole style of their attack and play. We know that Liverpool in the forward position have a couple of injuries. It's a question mark over whether Jota or Firmino will be ready to play. But there's also injuries on the Chelsea front. So Jake, what's the, the latest on um, Reese James who we mentioned earlier? Because I saw that 
he only had an illness recently. So is he going to be ready to play? And what about the two players who um, picked up injuries against Lille? Was it uh, Kovacic and Ziyech? Yeah, so I've seen um, a report from Nathan Gissing um, and it's saying that Reese James and Hudson Adoy um, are all set to return to training today. Um, so they could make the bench, but obviously I don't think either of them will start, which obviously is a is a massive blow for Chelsea still. But uh, I'd expect to see maybe an Alonso and Aspilicueta at wingback um, potentially again. Um, but then obviously on the Kovacic and ZS front, apparently um, that's nothing serious either. Um, and, they, and they look like uh, impact injuries. So just sort of knocks rather than muscle injuries or, or strains or something. So so in that respect, that's quite promising. Um, so from that, I think I think at the moment on a, on a realistic level, I think getting Kovacic back is the most realistic and most promising sort of thing to look out for as a Chelsea fan, especially if he can be partnered next to next to Kante. Yeah, that, that feels like it'd be huge. And Reese James as well, like you say, probably won't start um, just because it's been so long since he played. It would feel like maybe throwing him in um, a bit too quickly. But, you know, if he was able to, that would again feel like a, a huge boost. But George, just to stay on this, um, you mentioned about the about winning the midfield battle um, at Stamford Bridge. I think we can all agree that Chelsea did. Kovacic scored a uh, kind of goal of the month contender in, in that game, maybe even goal of the season. How big is it for, for Chelsea if he's available to play after that scare against Lille? Yeah, he's a massive player. He's only getting better every every season as well. It's He's so key to to win that midfield battle because he's he has that you know he's physically he's very good he's obviously he's, he's not slow he's, he's he's relatively good. he's got really good acceleration he's an incredible dribbler he can carry the ball he can he can help take the team you know further up the pitch and underrated passer as well um, at times as well. and obviously there's occasional goal for it as well he only really seems to score very good goals um, but yeah he, he's, he's so key because you got someone like Thiago at the moment who's He's on fire, um, and I think he's only really clicked into gear for Liverpool fairly recently in terms of that consistency week in week out um, of being somewhat near that that Bayern Munich Thiago who's just just a world class midfielder. Um, so now we really need our players to step up because the midfield battle is just going to get a little bit harder now because obviously Fabinho's in brilliant form as well and and Thiago is as well. So. Matching those two up with it, you know, obviously they'll play with a three. We'll we'll have two in midfield, so it's going to be tough. You're going to need you need we need to need Kovacic and Kante because it's uh, it's just it's just what we need to 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 win the battle. Because if if you don't have them, it's there's a, there'll be a drop off. Even with Jorginho, who's obviously a brilliant midfielder as well, it's these two have seemed to really play well against Liverpool in Kovacic and Kante and. We need that to continue if we need to, if we want to win on Sunday. It's it's simple as if we don't. Then it's it, it's yeah it's not going to happen otherwise. So this that's how key they are to this team. George makes a really good point there, Dan, um, about Thiago, who obviously I think I'm right in saying hasn't played either game against Chelsea this season. So if so, if we're looking at a situation where Liverpool have Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago midfield, mm-hmm. do you fancy us to kind of wrestle back control in that in that midfield battle? Is is you know, we've spoken a lot on the podcast about 
how important Thiago's presence is. Mm-hmm. You know, is is he? You know, he might not be someone who gets goals or assists, but is he the potential difference maker in this final? Uh, yeah, po- very possibly. To be honest, um, he he's so so important to decide. And you're right, he doesn't get goals and assists. I see him people comparing him to other midfielders who are nowhere near of his quality this week because of that fact. But what he can do is dictate terms pretty much of any football match. He can sort of set the tempo of a game. And just to touch on what the lads have said, that I, Ngolo um, Kante in particular, has always been outstanding every time we've played against Chelsea. So he is sort of a major concern going into Sunday. But that midfield you mentioned there has in my opinion, that perfect mix of everything. And we've been saying that sort of regardless of who we're playing against, that is probably our ideal midfield three. And Thiago is so key to that because the quality he possesses and what he can do with a football and, like I say, how he can run a game pretty much against anyone. And the thing with Thiago is we haven't seen it so much as Liverpool fans because he has had injuries since he arrived and it has been a little bit stop-start his career. But he has done it on the very biggest stages. Like, he is a serial winner. I think he was man the match in the Champions League final for Bayern Munich. Like, we're talking about a fella who is unfazed by any game, pretty much. So, having him in the side, and more importantly, fit and available as a Liverpool fan, is crucial, in my opinion. I'm really glad that he got uh, he got the last 25 minutes to rest yesterday, which I think is, is really important. So I think we've managed his minutes really well, so... You know, he might have to play the, the full 90 or even more um, on Sunday. So I think there was some good forward planning there. We obviously earned that luxury uh, with the performance. There's just a couple more players I want to touch on um, and then we can move on to sort of kind of predictions for how the game's going to go. The first is Kepa. Um, Jake, is he likely to start this one? He seems to be the kind of cup goalkeeper. And is that... Something that maybe worries you because obviously, you know, we know Mendy is the number one, but Kepa seems to have now that he's t- been taken out the spotlight, really, um, of the pressure of being number one, he seems to be someone who's actually doing all right. In one respect, I think, yes, he, he could start, but I think what is telling is when Mendy came back for the Club World Cup and everyone was thinking, oh, who's going to start, Mendy or Kepa? And Chelsea, two or two, she made that decision. Um, to be ruthless and, and start Mendy and goal over him in the final instead, which obviously was the right decision. Um, so I think going off that, if Ch- I think that Tuchel's going to sing from the same hymn sheet and I think Tuchel's going to sort of scrap this whole oh, cupkeeper or whatever, I think he will start Mendy, um, despite how well Kepa has been playing. And I think it is, is it, it has been easy sorry, um, to criticise Kepa over the last few years. Um, but end of the day he, he is a good goalkeeper is he is a good goalkeeper that can play out from the back but I think you, you just can't overlook what Mendy has done I think Mendy has been if not has been the best goalkeeper in Europe in the world and I think that is hard to overlook when you're sort of juggling do I go for the sentiment of of staying loyal so to say or do we go with our gut and, and actually play our the best goalkeeper in the world so I think I think Chelsea will play Mendy to be fair well, we'd probably um, have a thing, thing, thing or two to say about the best goalkeeper in the world, Tau, but you're right <laughs> about um, Mendy, like the way he can just, because sort of spells in a game, sometimes where Chelsea are under pressure and he's literally a wall. Um, so, you know, you could, there's, there's obviously this debate, isn't there, about do you go with the person who maybe got you to 
that stage of the competition already because it's final goal for the best. And obviously Liverpool um, have already confirmed that Keller is going to be in goal, um, having played against uh, played in the semi-final against Arsenal, the second leg, and played in the quarter-final against Leicester. And it could go to penalties. So from that point of view, you know, Keller has proven himself to be a bit of a penalty specialist. Kepa is obviously the same. So maybe uh, in that way, it would almost be, it could be a blessing if Kepa doesn't play. But Dan, thoughts on um, Keller playing? You know, from my point of view, it's not something to be worried about because he has, maybe barring one or two moments, maybe of, in the sort of games he's played, I think he's played about 16, has looked a really solid goalkeeper in his own right so isn't something going into the game that I'm particularly worried about no neither am I um and in truth when Klopp did announce that it would be Kelleher I I had no issues with it whatsoever and that that still is the case my only sort of nagging fear not fear in a sense but sort of concern is that Allison's form like our form generally speaking actually has gone up a couple of notches almost since he said that um, and Alisson's just been outstanding in recent weeks. So, obviously, we haven't seen Kelleher in that time, so it's difficult to gauge where he's at. So, that's my only sort of qualm about it, because, obviously, Kelleher comes in for these sort of one-off games. I think he actually played in the game at Stamford Bridge um, and did well, for the most part, as well, in that game. So, in terms of quality, I've got no issue with Kelleher playing. Obviously, the fact that the finals and other elements entirely, but... Like I say, just because Allison's been so, so good in recent weeks, there would be a temptation. He won't do it, but I'm sure there'd be a temptation to, to stick with a Brazilian. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's a, it is a dilemma, but I think you you have to consider and what Klopp said when he set, announced that Keller was going to play was like, you know, we have an outstanding second choice goalkeeper here. We have to think about how we keep older players like this. And if you don't have that kind of meritocracy, then... You know, Keller will be happy at Liverpool based on the sort of stature of the club and does get a decent amount of opportunities. But if he's thinking, I'm going to have been a hero in a penalty shootout, I've made a big save in the semi-final as well, and then I'm not playing the final, it's like, well, maybe I should go somewhere where, you know, because he could probably be playing top flight football, um, maybe lower down the Premier League or in Europe, maybe I should, I should go there if I'm not going to, kind of get the opportunity I feel I deserve. So I think there's that element to consider. But there's one other player I want to touch on before we move on to the predictions element, and that's Pulisic, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Now, the abiding memory of him has to be the game where Liverpool lifted the Premier League trophy, and he came off the bench and absolutely ripped us apart in a way that I've not seen many players do. And it was only on for, you know, maybe like half an hour towards the end obviously scored against Liverpool in the two all earlier this season. So he's maybe someone who um, can cause us problems more so than the other attacking often that Chelsea have. But George, what have you made of, of Pulisic this season? Because I think, you know, his talent is clear, but it feels like we're just kind of waiting for him to like to kick on and, and reach that next level and break into the sort of elite bracket when it comes to wingers. Yeah, I totally agree. The talent is, is is there and it's incredible and he's, he's still so young as well. I mean, some people, people get carried away with with all these younger players like your Havertz and Paul Six. For, for, you get, they get on the back and you got to remember how young they are and it's it's they're not even close to the prime yet. So I do think we'll see it over the course of his career. But yeah, it's, it's the moments of quality against Liverpool are, are kind of hard to... to <laughs> 
it's weird because we don't see him do that on a regular basis against teams where he get more opportunities to you know the you know the lower teams in the division, but then he turns up against you and he's the, the run the run at Anfield when it was behind closed doors when he he ran past like Fabinho and Gomez and Trent and they laid on a plate for Tammy and and then they then he scored another one and obviously the, he gets a goal running behind against you in the two all as well and he, he, all those moments are things you want to see him do more often. Um, it's it's strange even the goal the other night it's. It, it's a really good finish on the counter, and that's probably him that's devastating best when he when he does do that because he's 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 a a very under underrated finisher maybe. I mean, I do I just want to see him get into these positions more often, and he's when he keeps it when he sort of keeps it simple and just sort of does it all on just in the moment and, and reacting like that. He's he's really good. I think when he has more time to think about it and he slows the game down, I think that's where he. He struggles a lot, um, but when he's doing things at pace and everything's working like that, it's it's so it's so hard to stop. And he, he for some reason he really likes playing against Liverpool. So I mean, it's kind of hard not to see him start. You know, on Sunday, if if obviously if Lukaku doesn't start, um, you probably like to see him next to Havertz um, with Ziyech as well. Hopefully, he's you know, he he can play as well. So. But we just want to see more often with Paul. So that that's all it is. That's all it is with Chelsea fans, and I'm probably sure as as football fans in general as well. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's that consistency. And I remember that sort of whole restart period. I think he had he had the shout to be the best player in the league for that sort of stretch of games. Um, and he would be someone who, if I saw him on the team sheet and Kovacic, and you know, we said it's unlikely, but Reese James, I think they'd be the ones that I was kind of worrying about. Um, come sort of an hour before kickoff on Sunday, but let's move then to some kind of predictions. How we think the game's going to go, what we think the score is going to be. We'll start with you, Jake. I'm intrigued to see what you're what you're going to say because you, obviously being a Chelsea fan, you kind of you always think your team's going to win a final because um, you get so hyped up for it. But based on what you said earlier, you may be a bit worried um, about what you've seen from Liverpool. Mm, yeah, it, it is difficult. I think I think it'll be one-one extra time um and then it's tough to side in extra time but i think i think chelsea win it on penalties uh i might be a bit biased on that respect but just just before we like round that off i just want to say that how like i'm worried about salah i'm worried about Mane, i'm worried about jota i'm worried about diaz i think if like chelsea's wing backs out of the frame like their first team uh wing backs james and chill i think that's going to cause us a lot of danger and it could could kill us off quite early, but I'm going to be optimistic and say one all extra time. Chelsea on penalties. Kepa will get subbed on, and he'll save the the fifth and final penalty to win it, and he'll knee slide it to to the Chelsea fans. So might be a bit optimistic, but there we go. Very a very vivid, uh, <laughs> very vivid picture. <laughs> I've got of it planned out already. <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're right about sort of going up against like Salah. Though obviously we saw the goal he scored at um, Stamford Bridge, brilliant goal. Um, and he will kind of, I suppose, fancy it if the, especially if the defence is a little bit weakened. I always fancy him. And to be honest, most wingers up against Marcus Alonso, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely a factor to consider. Uh, George, we'll come to you next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard with the final. I change my mind like every other day with, with this sort of game. Um, I do like the idea of, of going to penalties and seeing Kevin come on. Um, I, I just you're in such good form. It's so hard to to see a Chelsea win. It's so hard to be optimistic, to be honest. Um, 
I think the times he played during the early in the season, you, you obviously weren't in good as form as you are now. And, you know, at times we were lucky to, to get away with a draw holding on at times. So you're in flying form. It's such a tough one, mate. I mean, I, I don't know if we can win it in 90 minutes. I, I want to be, I'll, I'll try and be optimistic. But yeah, I, I think if we, I think on penalties could be a, it could be, it could potentially happen. Um, it's, yeah, man, I, the more, you, the more you've been going on about <laughs> Thiago and the front three, it's made me a bit more worried now. So I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm, I can really wholeheartedly say that, that I really fancy us to win. Um, yeah, I mean, go on then. I, um, Chelsea on penalties. If, but I do think that you are going to score. Um, so it's it's going to be tough for us. I, I'm not going to lie. So two for, for Chelsea on penalties then. Um, well, in fairness, you said that you know you've become more worried. I came into this podcast thinking that Chelsea were going to be without uh, James, uh, James, Ziyech, and Kovacic, and now it looks like all three might be involved. So now I'm less confident. But in terms of my prediction, I reckon it'll be one-one in normal time. So maybe similar to you two there. I think Liverpool will win it after extra time, and there won't be a need for penalties. Uh, I think Mo Salah has at least one big trophy-winning moment in, in this season. I've just got an inkling that he does, and I don't know if it'll come here, whether it'll come in, in Europe, maybe ideally in the Premier League, um, hopefully at the Etihad, for example. Um, but yeah, I've just got that sense, so maybe it'll come here. So I think Liverpool after extra time. One thing I will say, though, is before we get your prediction, Dan, I reckon that this will be the highest quality League Cup final in sort of recent memory, to be honest, because, you know, these are two of the, the two of the three best teams in the country and two of the three best teams in the world. Like, you know, let's not forget that, you know, managers who are probably in the top five as well. You know, I think, and given the quality of players, and like we talked about, I think it's going to be a, a brilliant game. Maybe like the one at Stamford Bridge, though, perhaps a bit less chaotic because of that kind of tension that surrounds a final. That won't be good for any of us. Obviously, that it's like that. But um, well, I don't maybe take a few years off our lives. But that's the sort of um, game I'm expecting. But Dan, you know, you've tended to be more optimistic to me. So, are you going to predict a win within 90 minutes? Well, yeah, I was going to say, Dave, you might expect a more bullish optimism from me, and that's what you're going to get. Um, whilst I, you know, fully respect and believe Chelsea have star quality throughout the squad, let alone just the first team. And I think Thomas Tuchel is a brilliant manager. I just think we're coming into this game um, on two different paths. Um, Chelsea, despite a couple of wins, you know, recently haven't been you know, flying whatsoever, whereas we are on the crest of a wave. Um, and everyone who we could wish to be in good form is pretty much playing at the peak of their powers at the moment. So... I think all those factors, um, and just to sort of a little bit of Schadenfreude almost, just to pick Jacob on his Wembley comments. We've been to Wembley more times than you sort of think recently. I know, obviously, the Charity Shield was one, but we went with the League Cup earlier under Klopp. And as Liverpool fans, we call Wembley Anfield South as well. So, you know, that might not be as big a factor as they'd hope. Um, and obviously, you touched upon, Dave, sort of the experience we've got in big games. So... I think it'll be difficult, but I can't foresee anything but a comfortable 2-0 Liverpool win here, maybe, in the end. Well, that's certainly the sense I'm getting from the fan base as a whole. 
um, on social media. Um, and I saw it before, you know, the Champions League finals that we're in as well. I think our fans just um, sort of are completely convinced uh, that we're destined to win. And that's, you know, that's kind of the mentality that it's completely understandable to have before the final. And that's why it's so, you know, you get so hyped up for it. So you you love it if you win. And then obviously if you lose, it's kind of, kind of quite crushing. But that is going to wrap us up for what I think has been a really uh, enjoyable and comprehensive preview, to be honest, um, of the game. We're going to be back next week um, after the Norwich match, by which I think we'll hope Liverpool uh, are League Cup, League Cup winners um, and are advancing in, in the FA Cup as well. I'm going to put um, George and Jake's Twitter in the episode description um, so you can give them a follow on there. I know George... Um, tweets about things that aren't Chelsea related so if you're one of those Liverpool fans who resents Chelsea for whatever reason you can still you can still give him a follow without uh, too many issues and Jake as well obviously for Football London is a good account to follow too so yeah thanks very much lads uh, for coming on before we go any final thoughts Dan obviously um, we're looking forward to going to, to Wembley at the weekend yes I am looking forward to going down yeah and you know <laughs> In the nicest possible sense, best of luck to Chelsea, obviously, and the lads. And I'm really appreciating them both coming on. Um, really good chat and a lot of insight um, into what's going on over there at the moment. So, yeah, best of luck to both teams, let's say. Yeah, certainly to a point anyway. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that is going to be all for episode 56 of Reds, Unrest- Reds Unrestricted. Um, say the podcast name right. Uh, we'll be back next week, as I say. Remember, in the meantime, to give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. But, yeah, until then, take care.